0: This morning we're talking once again about reframed. Now reframed, people still ask me, what what does it actually mean? Well, what reframed means is that sometimes God doesn't answer things the way we want Him to answer them. And sometimes we miss God's answer because we're expecting Him to change something out there. When in fact what God does is He sometimes changes the way we see things. These glasses frame the way I see the world. And different glasses, if I put on my sunglasses, it reframes the world. The world looks different. The world hasn't changed, but it looks differently to me because I'm looking through different lenses. Now, exactly the same way, many times God works with us not by changing the world around us, but allowing us to see what He is doing in us and through us. And so what I want to talk about today is, is an example from Scripture of a radical reframing, but there were no lights from heaven, no chariots of fire, no big miracles that happened. Rather, it was a man, I believe, having his daily devotion, spending time with Jesus, praying, and yet in that moment, I believe we see one of the most radical examples of reframing anywhere in Scripture. It's a well-known passage, but it's a powerful passage, and one that has had a huge impact on my life And I trust it will on yours as well. So in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 6 to 10, this is Paul, the great apostle, he's speaking, and he said, even if I should choose to boast, I would not be a fool because I would be speaking the truth, but I refrain, so no one will think more of me than is warranted by what I do or say. Well, because of these surpassingly great revelations, therefore, in order to keep me from becoming conceited, I was given... A thorn in my flesh. Have you heard of that saying before? A thorn in the flesh. I think there was even a song written, a secular song. I'm not going to sing it for you now. I tried at the midweek service and it was a disaster. Thorn in my side. But uh, it's become a saying. You've become a thorn in my side. Now, where does that come from? We're going to find out. There was given me a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan. That is strong language. That word messenger is the same word angel. In other words, there's this angel or this demon of Satan has been sent. And it says, a messenger of Satan to torment me. How strong is that language? So this is Paul. This is the great apostle saying, I've got this thorn in my flesh. I've got like this spiritual torment. It's like this demon from Satan is tormenting me. So this is not a small thing. This is a real issue that Paul was facing Three times, I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. Now, I don't think this was, uh, Lord, please bless this food to my body and take away my thorn. Amen. I-, I don't think that's what he's talking about. I think three seasons of his life, he was crying out to God. God, surely, you the God who delivers. Surely, God, you want me to be free? Take this thorn from my side. Deliver me. Jesus, you are the deliverer. Deliver me. Jesus, you the rescuer. Rescue me. Three times, he pleaded. With the Lord for deliverance. Verse number nine. But, say, but. He said to me, no. That's basically what he said. No, I'm not. I'm not going to take that messenger of Satan, that torment you're going through. I'm not going to take it away. He says, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. Four, say, four. He has the reason for my power is made perfect in weakness. Yikes. Think about that. This is why, this is why, even though you've been crying out to me, even though you feel like you're suffering torment, I'm not going to change the circumstance because I want you to understand I have a better solution. My grace. Now that word grace, simplest definition of grace is God's help. That's what grace is. We are saved by grace. We are saved by God's help. We can't save ourselves. Jesus is the grace of God. God's help saves us. We have gifts of grace, gifts of God's help. You can't do it by yourself. His grace helps you. That's what God's grace is in its simplest form. It's His enabling power, His help. He says, my help, my grace is enough for you for my power is made perfect in weakness Yikes. How many times have you cried out to God, Lord, I need more power. You know, I want to minister with more power. I need more power in my life. And here Paul discovers, my power, says God, is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, say therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses. Yikes. How radical is that? How many of you go around regularly? How many of you last time, when last did you Facebook or tweet or Instagram so the world can know about one of your weaknesses? I mean, you put your highlights there, all your achievements, look what I've done lately. When last did you like Paul? No, no, I boast about my weaknesses. Why? Because Paul has had a radical reframing moment. Remember, this is the same issue That just just a few moments ago, he was pleading, God, rescue me and deliver me. Now he's boasting. Let me tell you about my latest weakness I've discovered about myself. It's amazing. It's pathetic. (laughs) And he boasts. Listen to what he says. I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. How many of you would like Christ's power to come and rest upon your life? Then stop whining about your weaknesses. Stop complaining about the struggles because it's in those areas of weakness and struggle that his power comes to rest. That's reframing. Do you notice that nothing has changed in Paul's life? God said, no, the circumstance stays the same. The thorn is I'm not taking it out. You're going to continue having the struggle in your life. But from pleading, Paul is now boasting. That's reframing. That Christ's power may rest on me. Verse 10 That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses. Can I hear an amen? <laughs> now, don't say amen unless you mean it. He said, I delight in weaknesses, in insults. Yeah, I love it when people insult me. Woohoo. I mean, that's what he's saying. I delight in weaknesses, I delight in insults, I delight in hardships. Yo. In persecutions, in difficulties, talk about a reframing moment. I delight in them, for when I am weak, then I am strong. That's reframing. Did you you catch my heart in terms of understanding what this really means now? Circumstance did not change, but this was a radical new perspective that completely changed everything. Here was his new perspective. He used to think, when I am weak, then I am weak. That's how he saw the world. And that's how most of us see the world. When I'm weak, then I'm weak. Obviously, I'm weak because I'm struggling in this area. This is what makes me weak. Paul had a reframing moment. When I'm weak, it doesn't say I feel strong. It says, I am Because now I'm having to hold on to God's grace. I'm having to hold on to his help like never before. In fact, Paul had this realization. This very thing that I was saying, God, take this thorn out of me, is the very thing that makes me cling to Jesus every day. This very thing that I thought was a messenger of Satan is actually the thing that makes me hold on to Jesus all day, every day. I can't let go of him because I need his grace. It's not an enemy. This is my best friend. Radical reframing. So what is a thorn in the side? Actually, Paul was not making this up. He was quoting from the Old Testament in Numbers 33, verses 53 to 55. It says, take possession of the land and settle in it. For I have given you the land to possess. Distribute the land by lot according to your clans. To a larger group, give a larger inheritance. To a smaller group, a smaller one. Whatever falls to them by lot will be theirs. Distribute it according to your ancestral tribes. In other words, Moses now is telling the people you're going to be going out of the desert into the promised land now. It's time to possess your promises, it's time to walk in the calling that God has for you, to enjoy the fullness of your salvation. This is your promised land. But, verse 55, if you do not drive out the inhabitants of the land, remember the land is not a big empty green field, it's currently possessed by giants, by enemies, and God is going to give you victory. But if you do not drive out the inhabitants of the land, those you allow to remain will become barbs in your eyes and thorns in your sides they will give you trouble in the land where you will live. Yikes. That's what a thorn in the side is. It's those things in our area and in our lives that give us struggles and challenges and hardships because we've never fully been able to deal with them before the Lord. So what is a thorn in the flesh? Something that gives you trouble in the land where you will live. Paul calls it a messenger or angel of Satan. And sometimes, if we're honest it's something that we're guilty of because it's something we never completely brought under the lordship of Jesus. You know, when we come to Christ, we should come to Christ with every area of our lives, every sin, every struggle, everything should be brought under the lordship of Jesus. But sometimes what happens is we come to Christ with this part of my life. In other words, this part of my life, I repent. I turn from these sins, but not these sins. Because these sins are like, I like them. And so we hold on to certain things in our lives, which we know are wrong, but kind of, I'm sure God understands. Well, what happens is you allowing the enemy to live in your promised land. And those are the very things which now become barbs in our eyes and thorns in our flesh, which rob us of our full inheritance. Sometimes it's not just silly things that we allow. Sometimes, and what happened with the the Israelites is they faced some enemies that they couldn't overcome. In fact, they could because God said, I'm with you. But they felt we don't have the strength, and so they made peace with an enemy that they should have conquered. Some things is like, oh, God, I just can't get the breakthrough, and we just learn to manage sin instead of repenting of sin. Sometimes it's just stupid decisions. We do things which were doff, and as a result... We now end up with some thorns in our side, some areas that we struggle with that God never ideally intended us to live with. Here's an example of that. Joshua was now leading the Israelites to take possession of the land. Remember, they'd gone to Jericho and the walls had come down and then they defeated the enemy eventually there. And next thing. Here comes a group of guys on these donkeys that are worn out. One guy's carrying a donkey. No, I'm making that up. But the point is, these guys looked exhausted. Their clothes were ragged, dusty, and uh, their bread was moldy. And they said to Joshua, oh, yeah, we the Gibeonites. We come from far. We have been traveling for weeks to get you because we heard how powerful your God is. But we're a peace loving people. We're a small little peace loving people who live way out there. Let's just make friends now because we don't want to be at war. We'd rather be friends. And it says, And Joshua did not inquire of the Lord. He looked, he thought, Yep, I can see they must have been traveling for weeks to get here. They obviously live far away. Let's sign an agreement. Peace. And then a day or two later, they discover, oh, actually, they live just next door. That was part of our inheritance, which now we've made a covenant agreement to live peacefully with. And just like that, they gave up part of their inheritance. They did not inquire of the Lord. In fact, in 2 Samuel 21 verse 1, it said during the reign of David, there was a famine for three successive years, so David sought the face of the Lord. The Lord said it's on account of Saul and his blood-stained house. It's because he put the Gibeonites to death. In other words, later, Saul was mad at the Gibeonites, put them to, some of them to death, and now the whole nation suffered a famine. What happened? They became a thorn in the side of Israel because instead of dealing with the enemy, the enemy was allowed to live alongside them. So what was Paul's thorn? I don't know. Nobody knows. We we never know what exactly was that thing that Paul was struggling with. There have been some ideas. One of them might be his eyesight. It seems that... uh, that Paul had something wrong with his eyes. That's why all the letters you read of Paul, he didn't write himself. He would dictate to someone who would write them down. And then he would normally write lots of love Paul right at the end with his big handwriting. That's why you might've seen sometimes it says, see what big letters he signs his name with because possibly his eyes were so bad. Now, can you imagine the frustration for a preacher when he can't read properly? I met one once amazing man of God. His name was Lexon. He lived up in uh, in Malawi. We did an outreach with him, incredible man of God. And he said to me one day in quiet confidence, he said, actually, my eyes are so bad nowadays that I kind of cheat because I pretend to read the Bible to the church, but I can't actually read it because my eyes are so bad. I can only read it when I'm at home by myself. And so I memorize the scripture so that when I stand in front of the people, I pretend to read, but actually I quote the scripture to them. Can you imagine that frustration? Just uh, a preacher who can't... Some people say it might have been a sickness. And can you imagine Paul and the thorn in his side when he's proclaiming the freedom and victory and healing the sick, and yet he lived with a sickness? Can you imagine that frustration? It says in Galatians 4, As you know, it was because of an illness that I first preached the gospel to you. Even though my illness was a trial to you, you did not treat me with contempt or scorn. Instead, you welcomed me as if I was an angel of God, as if I were Christ Jesus himself. Where then is the blessing now? I can testify that if you could have done so, you would have torn out your eyes and given them to me. You see what I'm saying? Maybe that was his thorn, this illness, something wrong with his eyes. Maybe it was his sexuality. Maybe the fact that he never got married. Maybe there was a loneliness factor inside of his life. How come Peter, he gets to have a wife that travels with him and, and Paul doesn't seem to ever have got married. Maybe it was a person. Some have said maybe it was this guy called Alexander the metal worker. When Paul was preaching in Ephesus, there was this this guy who made these uh, these statues out of metal of the the, the Diana, the goddess that they worshipped in Ephesus. And and when they preached, when Paul came preaching, the whole town repented, and so his business went out of. Uh, went bankrupt because no one wanted to buy a statue to Diana anymore. They were worshiping Jesus. And so Alexander, the metal worker, was so mad, he stirred up a riot. And then when Paul went to the next city, he went as well to stir up that crowd. And and maybe that was his thorn in his side. Maybe you've got one of them. Maybe you've got someone who just seems to, their mission in life is to make your life a misery. Maybe that's your thorn. The good news is we don't know what Paul's thorn was. And so we can all relate to it. Right now, you might have a thorn in your side. Maybe it was your fault. Maybe it's a weakness. Maybe a failure. Maybe a struggle. Maybe something that's just not right. Paul's reframing moment. After that prayer, it says, but God said to me. I want to remind you, reframing happens when we hear God speak to us. And I love the fact that for Paul, it came out of that quiet time, out of a devotion. As he prayed, God spoke to me. My grace is sufficient for you. I better jump ahead just for the sake of time. Sure. For years, I had, had the privilege of, uh, of traveling around South America. I've missed it over the last 18 months. But for about 16 years... I've been going to South America every single year with a good friend of mine. His name is Bruce McAlpine. Some of you have met him, some of you remember him. And uh, certainly going back 10 years or so, I, I went through a real struggle in my life because when I looked at Bruce, I kind of saw the ideal of what a leader should look like. I mean, he's much taller than I, he's about six foot three. He's extroverted, he's loud, he comes from a wealthy background, he's confident. He's that kind of guy, if you've done something, well, he's probably done it bigger, better. If he comes and preaches at your church, he's going to preach about giants, he's going to end up standing, he would. He would stand on top of the pulpit, everyone taking photos, and everyone just loves Bruce. And I'm thinking, it's not fair, Lord. No, honestly, it's not fair. I mean, there's a, even in the, the group of churches that we're part of, it seems like there's this celebrated ideal of what a leader should be. A leader should be extroverted. They should be front-footed is the term that people like to use. They should be, let's sit on the front row. Let's always be there. Let's, and I'm like, no, that's not me. I sit here because, well, I have to lead the meeting. Otherwise, I'd be sitting there at the back. That's, that's my preference. I'm an introvert. I love being with you. Then I like going home to be by myself. And I was like, Lord, you've made a mistake. And, and I kind of I felt this, this sense of what's wrong with me. I mean, I, I'm in these meetings and there's a celebration of what leadership should be like. And I'm like, I'm not that. And I remember really like, wrestling with this for years. It's actually, Lord, I think you've made a mistake. I think you made me wrong. And as I wrestled through this year after year, I had a reframing moment, just like Paul did. I remember one day I was having my daily devotion, just reading through the Bible like you do, and and I came across the scripture in Jeremiah 1, verses 4 and 5. It says, The word of the Lord came to me saying, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart. I appointed you as a prophet to the nations. And I'm like, Oh, that's a lovely verse. Lord, tick off my reading for the day. And as I did that, I felt it's like God dropped a question in my heart. Not an audible voice, no writing on the wall. It's just all of a sudden, this weird question just dropped into my heart. It's like God said to me, Brent, which comes first, your DNA or your calling? I was like, what a weird question. I mean, it's like, and actually I don't know. I began to think, of which does? If I ask you that question now, which comes first, your DNA or your calling? Have you ever thought about it? And then as I thought about it, I just thought back to this verse that I just read, and it says, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart and appointed you as a prophet to the nations. And suddenly it's like, do you know when God asks you a question? It's not because he doesn't know the answer. (laughs) You know when God asks you a question, he's not looking for information. If God asks you a question, it's because he wants you to come to a realization, And I suddenly realized, actually, Lord, before you formed Jeremiah, you already knew he was going to be a prophet to the nations. And so surely then, Lord, when when you were putting his DNA together, you put the right DNA in place for this call that you had already ordained. And suddenly I realized, here's my reframing moment, bam, Brent, God already called you before he created your DNA before he decided if you're an introvert or extrovert, confident, insecure, before all of that, he knew what he'd called you to. And suddenly in that moment, I realized, Lord, you have perfectly created me to perfectly fulfill your perfect plan. In that moment, I saw myself differently. That was my reframing moment in terms of that struggle. And just like that, from like Paul from Lord Wow Wow wah, wah, I suddenly realized actually I quite enjoy being an introvert. I just that's the way I am. You can keep your fancy dress parties and karaoke till the cows come home. I'm happy to read my book at home. It's just actually, you know what? I'm happy with the way now, instead of dodging and minimizing and trying to be something else, actually I can learn to celebrate and enjoy the way God has created me. And then something amazing happened. As I traveled to different churches meeting with different leaders, I began to realize it's like out of the woodwork all of these introverts appeared. And they said, hey Brent, I'm like you. And God began to use that to minister to other people as well. What's the point? That's reframed. Circumstances don't change. But everything changes when we see things from God's perspective. Let me land very quickly just... How do we respond? Sometimes your unanswered prayer is because you're praying the wrong prayer. Sometimes instead of God wanting to change something out there, he's wanting to change something in here. So make sure as you're praying, your area of struggle, now I know every one of us probably have some kind of thorn in our side, some kind of area of weakness or struggle or failure or embarrassment or shame, and somehow gods you've never felt the breakthrough in that area. The breakthrough might not come in the way you're expecting it to come. Listen, listen. God, how does your grace cover this weakness? Secondly, remember that it's God's grace that closes the door on our discontentment. Paul was discontent. Lord, it's not fair. He's agonizing until he realized God said, my grace is sufficient. Discontentment in our lives is dangerous. Remember, temptation comes through the door of discontentment. If you discontent with your life, with your body, with your relationships, with your this, your that, your status, whatever you discontent with, that's where the enemy is going to come knocking on that door because he will offer you a better solution. This is how you can have a quick fix. And if you get this, you'll be content. If you have this car, you will be happy ever after. If you have this job, this house, this wife, this money, this whatever, if you have this, you'll be happy. That's a lie. But discontent is the doorway for temptation. God said, my grace is sufficient for you. And then lastly, remember that reframing happens at the throne. How do we have one of these reframed moments? It happens at the throne of reframing. Another word for it is the throne of grace. Hebrews 4 verse 16, Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. God has got grace for your thorn. And when you discover it, you'll know it because your attitude will change 180 degrees from a thing that you thought was tormenting and weakness and an enemy, you suddenly realize, actually, this is an incredible blessing. Let me leave you with one more story. Being an introvert and on the insecure side, I have wrestled with nervousness about speaking in public all my life. Now, I've realized that people don't realize it because I come across confidently, but little do you know what happens behind the scene. Now, since I've been preaching from this pulpit for 20 years, I don't have it as badly here on a Sunday morning. But anytime I travel anywhere else, whether I'm doing a wedding, funeral, preaching at a different church, I wrestle with these feelings of... of fear, nervousness. In fact, it's worse than that. It's my area, my time of greatest spiritual attack. Let me tell you, so often during worship time where you lost in the clouds of worship, I'm in agony before the Lord saying, oh dear God. And, And sometimes I'll go into a church and I'm like, I feel like the attack of the enemy. It's like, this is a pathetic preach. I think you've chosen the wrong one. I bet you everyone has probably heard this preach before. In fact, didn't you preach the same message last time you were in the church? Now suddenly, like, well, cook, what did I preach last week, last year, when I was in this church? And I'm having all of this anxiety and worry. As a result, I'm like, oh Jesus, help me, please, 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 Lord. I trust you, I trust you, help me, Lord. And I'm thinking, oh, you don't even have the energy today. It's probably gonna be one of those damn squib kind of preachers. Like, oh God, help me. And I remember crying out to the Lord, saying, Please, Lord, this is not right. I want that it is well with my soul. I want that calm assurance to just like, and then I felt God say once again, no writing on the wall, no audible voice, just a little drop in my heart. Okay, I'll take away all of that nervousness and anxiety. But are you sure that's what you want? It's like, yes. (laughs) Because then I just, I felt the nudging of the Lord. But remember, if I take it away, you're not gonna be spending that time saying, dear God, I trust you. Jesus, I need you, I need you, I need you, I need you. And if you take that away, you're going to go into preaching not with that sense of, God, I absolutely need you, but with a sense of, I've got this, Lord. And suddenly, as I I thought about that, I actually said, you know what, Lord? Leave it. (laughs) Leave it. I'd, I'd rather have that moment when I'm crying out to you trusting you than going in with confidence in what I can do. Friends, nothing's changed, but everything changed in that moment. May God grant us reframing moments in the areas of our thorns. Amen? Why don't you stand with me, please? Father, in in Jesus' name, we stand before you right now Father, you know the different thorns, the areas of struggle, weakness, failure, where somehow we haven't seen the breakthroughs, or somehow we feel we've been dealt a a bad hand in this area, where where somehow it feels like you've forgotten about this or that, or, or you haven't shown us kindness or grace. Father, we want to bring these thorns before you this morning. And Father, I pray by the power of your Holy Spirit... That you would come and reframe those moments. I pray that right now you're speaking to each one of us. If not now, then during the course of the week, as we seek you, as we cry out to you, that we would hear the voice of our Father say, My grace is sufficient for you. Father, come and reframe these moments, I pray. Reframe these areas, I pray. Thank you, Lord. Just with our eyes closed, one more moment. Friends, if, if you are here and uh, you've, never, you've never given your life to Jesus Christ as your Lord, as your Savior, as the one who loves you so much, it would be our greatest joy and delight to pray with you, to introduce you to what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. We would love to pray with you straight afterwards. If you've got sickness in your body, we would love to help you find victory and freedom. Father, we thank you. Thank you for your goodness and grace. Thank you that as we go, we go knowing your gracious hand rests upon us in Jesus' name. And God's people say, amen. Amen. May the Lord bless you. Love to see you on Thursday. Love to see you on Thursday.